Let's come to God in prayer again. Lord God, we come before you again in, in prayer. And it's time to, to ask for your help and for your strength to understand what this passage is saying, God. This passage is so key to your word. It is so key to, to your unfolding plan of, of history. And Lord, we, we, we need help, God, to understand what it means, but not only to understand. We need your spirit to enlighten our hearts with your word so that it would penetrate our hearts. Lord God, may you help us to see your beauty in this text and, and, your, and, the, and the wonder of your faithfulness to your promises. And Lord, we ask that you would help us to apply it to our everyday lives and enable us, God, to focus our, our attention uh, on Jesus this evening. Lord God, we, we pray this all in, in your precious and holy name. Amen. Back when I was younger, I, I had a friend called Ryan. Me and Ryan were great friends. We, we spent... A lot of time together, we did everything together, and I, I, I trusted Ryan on, on waveringly. Sometimes I trusted him a bit stupidly. I remember he, he would read oh, all these books with long lists of, of facts in them, and I would go home to my parents and say, Ryan said this. And then my parents would say something like, well, you know, Ryan doesn't always have it right. And down through, through my friendship with Ryan, I would continually be, be saying and correcting my parents, saying, oh, but, but Ryan said, said this. Uh, until the point where my, my sisters would tease me, ooh, but Ryan, but Ryan said, and I, I still get a bit, of, a bit of that today. It's still, the memory hasn't gone yet. Um, but me, me and Ryan were good friends, and... I think I remember, you know, it's one of those vague memories where you don't know whether it's, it's true or not, but I, I, think, I think it's true. Maybe it's a bit too convenient for this sermon. Maybe I've, I've made it up, but I, I think I remember it's true that me and Ryan once made a covenant with each other. Of course, we didn't know what a covenant was at that time, but we, but we made one. We uh, cemented our friendship with each other a handshake but it wasn't just any ordinary handshake it was a, it was a blood brothers handshake and so we made a small incision in our, in our palm and we, we shook cementing our loyalty to one another for the rest of our lives we were going to be friends friends for life but as we grew older I, I we, we fell into different friendship groups and I moved home I moved away from Armagh, which was where Ryan was. And, you know, I, I don't think I've, I've spoken to Ryan in about a decade, probably. So we've broken our covenant. We've broken this uh, promise that we made to each other. We have forgotten our covenant with one another. Well, in this passage... 
uh, I'm speaking on today, uh, God makes a covenant with Abraham. Uh, in the passage it says Abram, but I, I'm going to refer to him as, as Abraham because that's what he's later referred to as. So God makes a covenant with, with Abraham uh, which could not be broken because it was fulfilled by the unchanging God who cannot lie. It was uh, held in God's faithful hands. Uh, I said about R.C. Sproul uh, earlier on, being uh, saying this chapter is very important, or it would be the one chapter that he takes with him into solitary confinement, and, and verse 17 is, is the one verse he would take. Let me read verse, verse 17 uh, again. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking firepot with a blazing torch appeared between the pieces. One, one verse in all of the Bible, of all the verses he could choose from, he chooses this one. A very obscure verse. It's quite, quite a strange verse probably to us. Um, but my task this evening uh, is, is to show just how glorious this verse is when it's put into its context. And of course, I'm going to fail at that because how could I show just how glorious this verse is? But if I show just a glimpse of the glory of this verse, then I'll have done uh, my job this evening. There's much in Genesis 15, and, and I'll only be skimming the surface, but let's, be, let's uh, get into the passage. Uh, the pa passage begins with, After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a, in a vision. And if you have your Bibles in front of you, that would be, that'll be very helpful. So after this, so instinctively, we, we go back to see what happened. Uh, and so in Genesis 12, God has called Abram uh, to leave the homeland to leave his homeland and to go out to a land which God would show him, which we know is, is Canaan. And he promised Abram that he would make him into a great nation and that his family would be a, a blessing to the, to, the, to the world. So Abram left, uh, went to the land of Canaan, and uh, that was the land that was going to be given to his offspring. But in chapter 14, war breaks out, and some of the surrounding nations uh, are or uh, some of the surrounding nations are in war. And Abraham's nephew, Lot, he has been captured in this war. He settled near Sodom, and Sodom was involved in this war. And uh, Sodom lost the war, and all possessions of Sodom were plundered, and, uh, and the, the people were taken from Sodom as well. So Abraham got word of this, and his military goes out to, to rescue Lot, and in doing so, he, he wins the war and brings back the loot from the war and brings back the people from, from the war as well. And the king of Sodom approaches him and tries to make a deal with Abraham. He says, for ex in exchange for the people that you have with you from, from my nation, I'll give you all the possessions. But Abraham, he, he, he refuses the deal because he didn't want... The, the kings of, of, of the earth to know that they made him wealthy. He wanted all of the, the credit to go to, to God. 
and to God alone. So he refuses the deal. And so after this, this war, um, he refused the deal and he, he gives back all the possessions to Sodom and he gives back all the, all the people to, to Sodom as well. Uh, and after the war, Abraham is left vulnerable. He is, is left there. there. There's potentially another attack going to happen. He is left vulnerable. So he's, he, he's, he's likely anxiously watching out for these enemies to come in at any point and siege him. But the Lord in verse 1 of chapter 15 says to Abram, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. So God is both Abram's shield and his great reward. And in this anxious moment of not knowing what will happen, he doesn't know whether war will, will break out again, but in this anxious moment, God speaks. God speaks and he comforts him. Do not be afraid, Abram. And why should he not be afraid? Because God is his protector, his shield. But not only that, God is his reward. Abram, you don't need all the riches of Sodom. All those riches will, will waste away. But your reward is the eternal God. It's, it's, it is God. And to enjoy God. That's his reward. And that's the heart of, of the Christ, Christianity, isn't it? To, to enjoy God, to have God as our reward, and to, to, to experience this, this protection of our salvation throughout this life. That's, that's the Christian life, isn't it? Abram seemingly overlooks this, though, he has, a, he has a burning complaint to, to make to God. And this, his, his complaint, why have you still not given me a son? God promised him a, a son uh, in, in the past, but he still has not acted on this promise. Yes, you, you've given me great wealth and great possessions. I have all the cattle I'll ever need, but I still do not have a son. He, he boldly says, Sovereign Lord, this is a title of, of respect, and it shows that the complaint comes from a place of, of faith. But, but he, he says, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. God, you've, you've promised me this, but yet my wife, she's still barren. I still have no child, no one to, to carry on my name, no one to inherit this great wealth that you've given me. And Lord, he, he doesn't reprimand Abraham for this complaint, but he listens. He listens to him and he answers him. He says, this man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. God reaffirms the promise that he made uh, to Abraham. And he does so very powerfully. Verse, verse five, he took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. I remember when I was younger looking out at the, the, the expanse in the sky at nighttime, trying to, to count the stars. And it's one, two, three, 
four, five, where, where was it again? One, two, it's pointless. It's pointless. There's, there's billions of stars in the galaxy. Who can number them? And so shall your offspring be. Abraham, looking up in, in wonder at, at, at the grace and mercy of God, believes him. He trusts him. He trusts God that, that he will indeed fulfill his word, his, his promise. I'm sure that every time Abraham looked up at the sky to see the stars, he was reminded of, of his offspring. It says in verse 6, Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. That's such a key verse. Uh, God counted his faith as righteousness. Now, it didn't mean that Abraham was righteous. We know that he wasn't because he sinned in the past. And we know from later chapters in Genesis, he will sin in the future. He's not, he's not really righteous, but God has counted him. He's considered him. He's credited to him as righteousness, this, this faith. Abraham is counted as righteous because of his trust, his, his childlike dependence on God and his trusting in, in God's promise. The Apostle Paul uses this verse to explain uh, what we call the, the doctrine of justification by faith, uh, that we are not, we're not saved by our own works, but that we're saved by faith in Christ the Son of God. Here's, here's Romans 4, 24 to 25. The words it was credited to him were written not for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness. For us, who believe in him who raised Jesus, our Lord, from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. You know, those, those who believe in Jesus, those who believe the promises of Jesus, then we have been, uh, we have been counted or credited with the righteousness of Jesus. This righteousness that was given freely to Abraham is given freely to us. This righteousness, the, the belief in the promises of Christ which God credits to us as righteousness, this, this faith in the promise is the same faith in the promise that Abram had, faith in the promise of an offspring. So it is Christ's righteousness that, that is given to us. And so he belong, to him belongs all the, the praise and, and the glory. But what is, what's this righteousness for? Why, why do we need it? Why did Abraham need it? Well, God is not yet finished reaffirming his, his promises to, that he made to Abraham, for he reminds him of the promise of the land. We've got the promise of the offspring. Now, now we have the promise of the land. He reminds Abraham that he and his offspring will be given this land. And this righteousness that he has received from God, that he has been credited with, qualifies Abraham to receive the land as a gift. And that's the same for us, isn't it? Christ's righteousness that he, that he gives to us qualifies us to receive 
the 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 token into it's it's the token into paradise. It, it it enables us to receive the land that God has promised, heaven. This righteousness is our token, and it's the only token into paradise. And it's we 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 receive it by faith. But a question is, can we destroy it? Or can we tear it up? Or can we taint this righteousness with our sin? Or can we lose it? Or another question might be, how can I even know that I've obtained this righteousness? Some of us here today may be thinking, how can I even know that I'm a Christian? I think we all have these thoughts from, from time to time. We all have seasons of, of sin and distraction and, and doubt and hurt where we, we think, how, how, could, how could God even love me? How could God really forgive me? We have seasons where it's almost like the, the joy of, of the Christian life has been sucked up into a black hole of, of regret or of, of disappointment or, or by grief. The joy has been sucked up by, by grief or, or by apathy or, or by anxiety. In these seasons, what do we have to cling on to? When our faith is, is failing and we doubt that, that God even loves us. What have we to, to cling on to? Well, this is in the, the same vein as Abraham's question in verse 8. He says, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? If somebody buys land or buys a house, they own the, the title deeds to this land. And the exciting part is they get to get the, the keys to the land and to the house. Well, here God is giving Abraham the keys to the promised land and he's, and he's completing the, the paperwork. He's giving the, the title deeds over to Abraham as well. God answers Abraham's question by, by making a covenant with him. Right here, right now, Abraham, you want to know if you're going to gain possession of this land? Right here, right now, let's make a covenant. And so God gives Abraham a, a shopping list. He, he, he says, bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. All right, okay. That's quite strange for us to understand what's What's going on here? But Abraham goes and he gets the, the heifer, the goat, the ram, the dove, and the pigeon. We're all thinking what's, what's going on here. But Abraham, he, he knows exactly what's going on. He, he, he gets these, uh, these animals and he cuts each in half, except for the birds. And he lays them on top of each other in two lines. And so there's two lines of of, of carcasses in the ground and a pool of, of blood in the middle and as he waits the birds of, of prey come and they try to, to come and, and 
pluck away these carcasses and try to, to ruin this, this covenant that Abraham is, is for, forming. And as, uh, but Abraham, he, he shoes them away, he fends them off, and now it's, it's getting late. Nothing's happened yet, and it's getting late. The sun is setting. But then Abraham, he, he falls into a deep sleep. This darkness, it's, it's thick. Abraham is in the dreadful presence of a holy God. And out of this presence, God speaks. God says to Abraham, your offspring will, will suffer as slaves under another nation. And we know this nation is, is Egypt. The Israelites were under Egypt. But he promised Abraham that when the time is right, he will bring your offspring out of slavery and they will take the promised land I have given to them when the time is, is exactly right. So the keys to the promised land will, will be theirs. It will be passed on. But God goes even further. His word is sufficient. And Abraham should trust his word. But God wants to make this word concrete. He wants to show Abraham just how dedicated he is to this promise. Well, here we are at verse 17. And this entire sermon has just been laying the context for verse 17. Let's read it again. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared uh, and passed between the pieces. Isn't it glorious? I'm getting blank stares. A little bit more, more context is needed. Well, God doesn't write out a covenant, but he cuts one. He, he cuts covenants. He cuts out a, a treaty. These animals they, they, that have been cut in half resemble the covenant if the covenant is broken. It is as if to say, if, if I go against this covenant, if I break this covenant, then may I be as these pieces on the ground. In a normal covenant, both parties would walk through. But Abraham doesn't walk through in this covenant. He doesn't pass through the pieces. Who passes through the pieces? Well, it's a smoking fire pot and a blazing torch passes through. Well, how, how, is, how is God represented in the Old Testament? He is, he is the consuming fire. He's the, the burning bush. He's the, the, the pillar of cloud by day and the, the pillar of, of fire by night. This is God who passes through the pieces. God is saying, if I do not fulfill the terms of this covenant, if I break the promises made in this promise, in, in this covenant, sorry, then may I be as these carcasses on the ground. May I be cut in half. May I, the, the eternal God, die. 
May I, the unchanging God, undergo some mutation. God is saying, I'm putting my deity on the line here. Oh, friends, can God die? No. No, he can't die. He is eternal. And can God undergo any change? No, he, he can't. He is the unchanging God. And ca- can God be cut in half? No. He has no body. He is spirit. God can surely not die. So we conclude, God will absolutely carry through on this promise. He will absolutely carry through in this covenant he has made to Abraham. And you bet your neck he did exactly what he said he'd do. God is faithful to his promises. And he cannot cease to be trustworthy. And the same is true for for us as Christ's promises are true. God has offered us who trust him eternal life because of what Jesus has done for us, what he has concretely done for us. When we have these seasons of, of dwindling faith, when the sun is setting and we are plunged into darkness, what is there to assure us of this salvation? What is there to assure us that we have have not been forsaken by God? What is there to remind us that, that we have been forgiven and that God in heaven is still is still our reward? What is there to assure us that, that we have not lost or we have not tainted with our sin the righteousness of Christ? The answer is communion. That is what God has given us to remind us of these promises. This is what God has given us to remind us of of the new covenant promised to us. Here's what the the new covenant says. For I will forgive their wickedness. That's, That's us. That's us. Their wickedness. And I will remember their sins no more. And Jesus says, this is my body broken for you. And this is my blood poured out for you. Christ has completed it on our behalf. And it is concrete. And when we take communion, we we remember the, the concreteness, the reality of our forgiveness, the reality that we, by faith in God, by faith in Christ, can be sure of our salvation. I think we've, we've somewhat lost the grandeur of, of communion. I, I know that's certainly true for me. But let's, let's regain it. Let's regain it and, and delight in it, for, for it reminds us of God's faithfulness to us. It reminds us of God's faithfulness to his promises. But what about today when, when we're not taking communion? How, how can, to the person who, who lacks assurance today, the person who's thinking, how, how could God really love me? How could God 
forgive me. Look to Jesus. See him. Live a perfect life. See him on the cross. See him cry out, it is finished in victory. See him bow his head. See him taken down from the cross and buried in the grave. See him rise from the grave and see him ascend into heaven. And he did it for us. He did it for you. And he did it so that we would be numbered among the children of Abraham, the children of, of faith and the promise, so that we would be forgiven for all our past sins and all our present sins and all our future sins. And he did it so that we would rise to eternal life to be with him where God will be our reward. Praise God, for he is faithful. When we can barely cling on to him, when we can barely cling on to, to his promises, he clings on to us. Let's come to God in, in prayer. Father God, we thank you for your mercy your mercy unto us. We thank you for your your grace and your goodness and your faithfulness, God. Lord, we thank you that indeed those promises to Abraham, where Abraham believed, were counted to him as righteousness. And we thank you that the same is done for us. And God, thank you that you have made it so that we cannot lose this righteousness but that when we believe your promises, when we believe Christ, then that righteousness is given to us. And so, Lord, we long for the day where this grace is fully known, and we long for the day where you will be our reward. And indeed, we enjoy you now, God, as our reward. Help us to enjoy you as our reward. And assure us of this salvation. In Jesus' name, amen.